Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the program. We are live from Last Off Productions here in New York City, as always, and you are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate. At this hour, more sellers have cut their asking prices on New York City apartments the week after Labor Day than any other week in New York history, including the recession, according to a new report from several listing websites. Asking prices fell on 774 New York City apartments, exceeding the previous record of 713 for the week of March 22, 2009. The figure from the week ending September 9th represents 4.9% of all New York City apartments and and houses listed for the sale that week, and the median price cut that week was $50,000 per listing. Also at this hour, I have a very special guest in the studio this morning, Diane Ramirez, Chairman and Chief Executive Officer of Halstead Real Estate. She is one of the founders of Halstead, along with uh, Clark Halstead in the fall of 1984. She has strategically grown the firm from its original goal of three storefront offices in the most important neighborhoods in Manhattan to its current size, of nearly three dozen strategically located offices with 1,300 agents uh, throughout the tri-state area. We will talk about the current market trends in New York City, what inspired Diane and her team to recently rebrand the company significantly earlier this year, and the technology push within the industry that has become very competitive also, and that and much more. My panel, Matt Cohen, Tracy Hammersley, Phil Horrigan, Ari Harkoff are here and we will get to lots more after that. I'd like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. I am Vince Rocker, your host, and you are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate. In the news this morning, 200, 220 uh, Central Park South is ever so close to becoming the third slender skyscraper to open in the last few years along Billionaire's Row. While Central Park Tower has overshadowed its presence across Midtown, that hasn't taken away from the attraction for this park-bound limestone real estate. For the next few months, construction workers will be working tirelessly to reach the seemingly possible year-end completion deadline. It's about time, actually. Robert A.M. Stern Architects is responsible for the design. The building is clad with Alabama Silver Shadow Limestone, a material which has become part of the architect's signature look across all of Manhattan. Since we last looked at the project in March, their progress visually is not significant. That doesn't mean it's been slowing down, though. All of the limestone cladding has been fully installed along the northwest and southern facades. The current pace of visible construction suggests that the priority has been focused on the inside. The 950-foot-tall uh, t- structure yields 116 new condominiums with a three-story penthouse at the top going for a record $200 million. Amazing. Part of the project includes 14-story annex right across from Central Park known as the Villas, and it will have 13 enormous condominiums with the most expensive duplex, an 8,000-square-foot, six-bedroom unit with 2,000 square feet of outdoor space, and that's on the market for $80 million. Unbelievable, New York City. Anyway, my guest today, Diane Ramirez, is a greatly respected and passionate leader. She is the chairman and chief executive officer of Halstead Real Estate, as I said earlier. And under her thoughtful and careful leadership, she has strategically grown the firm from its original goal of three storefront offices in the most important neighborhoods in Manhattan to its current size, uh, nearly three dozen strategically located offices with 1,300 agents throughout Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, Riverdale, the Hamptons, Hudson Valley, New Jersey, and Fairfield County, Connecticut. She and Clark Halstead together founded Halstead 
In the fall of 84, their vision for the company was a high-end firm that utilized advanced technology combined with old-fashioned elegance that covered all segments of the market and was located uh, in communities that they service. Halstead became the first big firm to utilize storefront offices in Manhattan as well as the first to be on the west side and in downtown. I didn't know that. That's very interesting. They worked closely together, growing the firm organically, and were purchased by Terra Holdings in 2001, and they helped grow the firm to the size it is today. Diane is an active member of the leading real estate companies of the world for more than 20 years, and she serves as vice chairman of the board of directors along with other top real estate executives from all over the world. Leading RE is a selective global community of over 550 independent real estate firms and 128,000 associates producing 1 million transactions valued at $351 billion annually. Leading real estate companies of the world presented Diane with their prestigious Leadership Award, which honors a member broker for outstanding leadership achievements. Diane has also received the uh, Rebney um, uh, Board of New York's Henry Foster Award, the 2016 Real Estate Person of the Year Award by Institute of Real Estate Management, and she will be honored in January at the Real Estate Board of New York's 123rd Annual Banquet with the Distinguished Bernard H. Mendick Lifetime Leadership in Real Estate Award for Exceptional Accomplishments in Profession, in the Profession, Leadership and Service to the Real Estate Industry. Diane is routinely ranked by the New York Observer as one of the 100 most powerful people in New York real estate, and she is here with us this morning. <laughs> wow. I must be very old. <laughs> you're very impressive. No, you're just very good. I mean, that, that's a very impressive, um, thank, thank you, very you. impressive I was resume. calculating, that's like one office per year that you've been... That's amazing. Yeah, yeah well, we, we've, we've, we've done really well. Anyway, so we. I want to... I, we. <laughs> yes, absolutely. We as Halstead. We as Halstead. I've got a lot of we. The royal we. <laughs> we've done well. Anyway, so um, getting to the business at hand today. So the, the, the Halstead third quarter report is released just today, and I received an advanced copy thanks to Mara yesterday. Maya, thanks uh, for that. So we can prepare for this talk. It says the average Manhattan apartment price fell to $1,904,999 in the third quarter, an 8% decline from the prior quarter and 2% less than a year ago. This is the third straight quarter. Uh, the number of sales posted a double-digit uh, decline. You were quoted in the uh, report saying, we see the market continuing to correct with higher levels of inventory available. Properties stand out from the pact and move quickly only when they are priced sharply to sell. Sellers must listen to current market conditions because the message is clear. Get ahead by pricing relative to comparable apartments that are actually selling or risk languaging on the market. I mean, that is like so perfectly said, Diane, in this marketplace. Expand a little bit for us on that for the listening audience of the people out there who don't necessarily understand the Manhattan or the New York City marketplace. We are all around the world here. Um, and thank you, Vince. Um, it's such a pleasure to be here. I think what we have to do first is is think of why why is it the conditions today? And that is really because we've had nine straight years of price appreciation. And that is very, very difficult, very, very difficult to assimilate. So we really are in a correction mode because when you look at, the, the market as a whole, uh, the financial market, our economy is strong, the stock market is soaring. This is the first time in my long history in the, in the industry that that has not correlated. I've never seen a, such a strong economy and such difficult real estate. 
market. People ask me all the time, that's a good point you bring up, because the markets usually, you know, uh, coincide with each other, the stock market, the economy, whatever, the real estate market in New York City, uh, whether it's primary housing, secondary housing out in the in the in the beachy areas of our of our uh, location, you know they usually correspond, but but for some reason you know they're not today, and and everything seems to be booming out there except the New York City you know local marketplace. So the question is, you know, are there other outside influences that have affected this, or is it just a correction that, uh, as you said, nine straight quarters of you know. Boom and bust, so to right. a boom rather. So, I mean, is it time for a bust, or is it just time for a leveling off of a correction where sellers really need to come around and understand what we're getting at? Right. I, I, I don't see a bust happening, and um, any of the economists I speak to don't either. I think it's a correction mode, and the correction is really correlated with how much did your market escalate. And that's what where our market truly did escalate very quickly. And then you get the buildup of the inventory. And if you if you can combine the the confusion in the market, and that's where I think the buyers are confused about where is the real estate market going. Will next year the apartment be less money? If they think that, then they're going to hold back. So you you get confusion, you mix that with choice which is what happens when the supply starts to increase and and you get hesitancy. And that's what we're really in. It's a hesitant market and um, hesitant. Yeah. Yeah, it's all very hesitancy. It's, uh, the buyers are, are poised to buy. And thank God this summer, because we had the first six months of incredible hesitancy and, and now the sellers are getting it. They realize if they want to sell, they have to be razor sharp. And I've used the analogy around um, our different offices. And it really came to me as I was watching the Belmont races in the summer. You watch those million dollar gorgeous specimens of horses coming out of the gate. And you get this cluster of horses, but you get those two or three that come out of the gate to win. And they go out in front and one of them wins. And that's what the sellers have to think. Don't come out to say, well, where are the comps? Let me be certain I'm in the comps. Let me be priced right. It isn't priced right. It's beyond that. It's razor sharp. I want to win. I want to sell my apartment. And that's what the sellers are finally getting, thanks to our great agents educating them. I, I agree with that. And for example, I was out showing townhouses over the weekend and, you know, we saw a bunch of them. And at one point, my buyer said to me, so wh- what do you think of the prices? And in one in particular that he's very interested in, I said, well, to tell you the truth, it's priced really well. And so we came back to the ranch, you know, and yesterday I was going uh, through some comps and, and coming up with uh, reasons to make him understand that this really, this house in particular was priced well. And at the end of our back and forth several times during the day, he actually said to me, you know what? I think you're absolutely correct. He said, you know, looking at the numbers you just presented to me, right. the seller had already come down $360,000 from the original asking price, which, you know, probably was too high to begin with. And now he's agreeing that, okay, you know what? This price seems good to me. Whether he jumps or not, I don't know, because there is that hesitancy in his mind as well. But he at least understands that if he does buy this laser sharp 
pricing, to use your term, uh, in this particular case makes sense. What about some of those sellers, though, Diane, that are still kind of like languishing in that old head of, well, you know what, I'm sitting on a gold mine here and I have gold bars behind my wallpaper and, you know, my apartment <laughs> is worth all this money and I don't really want to sell right now to do that. What what do we what do we tell our sellers under those conditions? Well, tell them to Very enjoy difficult. it. They are going to be sitting in it. <laughs> and, you know, they often look back to, you know, if, you know, in... And at 15, I could have gotten this. Well, you didn't sell in 15. And if you're buying, you would have paid more in 15 right, as right. well. Right. So the, if they really want to sell, then they have to look. It's, it is price. When we look at, I mean, our numbers of sales are down double digits. But when you look at the ones that are selling, they are. it's the priced right, really priced right, or it's the deeply discounted one. And sometimes it's the combination of the two. And they will not sell. I don't care what they have on their walls. I don't care location even. If you're not priced right, it's all about price. And on the flip side of that, you know, so if you're not selling at the number that you think that you would have gotten in 15 or early 16, whatever, but you're also now buying at a time where exactly. the numbers are lower. So it's kind of an awash situation anyway. Right. And if you hold on to that that new buy for a period of five, seven years, what most people do right. in New York real estate, you're going to come out on the other side much better Anyway, but it's just that philosophical kind of, you know, something in there that makes people crazy. We're going to take a break and come back, talk to Diane much more about this branding and technology right after these messages. You are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their product. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York York Yankees. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Edward Mayer is chairman and chief executive officer of Halstead Real Estate. 
uh, here in the tri-state area. Diane, one, uh, one last question on the market, and then we'll move on to other things. In new developments especially, it looks like closings have continued their decline in the third quarter, falling 40% um, from a year ago. What do you attribute that to? Was it the overinflated prices and people slowing down there too? Or is it just a matter of, well, I don't really know what I want to do, whether brand new, where in the past everybody wanted brand new. And I play a lot in that arena and, you know, you couldn't sell fast enough in, in the new development stuff. Right. I, I think a little bit has to do with choice. In real estate, I actually hate when there's choice because it creates the feeling of there's no there's no urgency. There's no reason to step forward. And what is the next new one going to be? And and there are incredible discounts being given in that arena. So why not wait and see if there's going to be even more? Right. The other thing, too, is uh, the average price for new units, again, according to our report this morning, uh, rose 11%, helped by the closings at 160 Levory Street and 70 Vestry. So transactions are down, but the prices are up because of some of that lofty prices in these two new developments, which are pretty spectacular, by the way. But, again, it, 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 it gives me reason to wonder, really, what do people think about? Because there are still some of those high-end buyers out there who are willing to go into contract on some of these units. And these probably went into contract, you know, three, four months ago. Right, right? at least that. At, at least that. All right, let's move on. Branding. And this is so exciting to me because I, I just love what we've done. What we've done. Here we go again. What you and your team have done. Uh, we, it's a we. It's a Halstead. It's a we. So after a year's worth of hard work and collaboration, Halstead proudly unveiled its major brand transformation this past spring. Gone is a long-term, long-time green color and H icon for which I remember being created so many years ago. The new look is bold, contemporary, and memorable. That's a great description. It speaks to Halstead's most powerful brand uh, attributes while staying true to the core values and strengths. Diane and her team work with Pentagon, the world's largest independently owned design studio, to develop the reimagined brand. Take us through that a little bit and, and what it takes to actually... Everybody says, oh, everything is about branding. Your agents individually have their own style, their own brand. It's really about branding. But as a firm as big as Halstead, how do you embark on that and how do you conclude that so successfully and actually so well-received by all of our colleagues out there? Yes, what I'm thrilled take? how well-received. <coughs> I just came back from an, uh, a global symposium and everywhere was talking about our branding, uh, which, I mean, you couldn't ask for more. <clears throat> but you ha- I have to take you back a little bit because we we had a wonderful, strong brand before mm-hmm. uh, it, it depicted to me the I-beams of New York buildings the H it was very strong the green I owned the green color I have so many things I have to get rid of now because it's no longer I started to think of green was my veins but uh, I keep telling was, Richard don't take up the carpet in the office no but we're not taking it's still gorgeous so <laughs> still we'll like keep it. it and it's, it's now grass like so it's okay right. but but when we branded, and it was very bold back then, we were a very different firm. We were four offices in New York. We were probably four or 500 agents. And then we went into the suburban, the second home market, into Connecticut, New Jersey, the Hamptons. And think about green and white out in the suburban markets. You died in the winter if you did the white with the snow. And in the summer, you couldn't see our signs. We were trying borders. We tried everything. We couldn't make it work. So we realized 
the color as much as we owned it. And I loved it. Just didn't work anymore. Also, I described our H as, you know, the I-beams of New York. The suburbs didn't didn't get that at all. So we were saying, oh, those little squares in the middle were windows. The bottom line is we were making up stories. <laughs> we had grown and changed and become such a much more dynamic, strong leader in the market, not that boutique that we were seeing before. And we knew it's like anything. Your face has to match who you are. We needed something much more uh, multidimensional, much more flexible, So, which is what I think our H icon has totally Love captured. It. Everyone said, don't give up our H. Everywhere, every agent I spoke to said, don't give up the H. But I knew I had to give it up. So this new multidimensional H is so powerful. Absolutely. You still get that feeling of strength. But now you're getting something that we've made patterns. We've made wallpaper out of it. We have photos coming out of the H. You can put it in almost any direction. So if you've got an ad you need it on the right, it works. Yes. At the bottom, it works. It's so terrific. And then you take us into the color. That was like, what do we do? What? How do we find a color that works for all our markets? So we went with the monochromatic grays as the palette for our corporate color. So our signage all around in all of the offices have that wonderful, very modern look of the palettes of gray. And then each area has their own color palette. So New York, where purples and strong, very, very strong and grounded, and but elegant. Then you go into the suburban markets, and we have the the more sea-like greens and blues, but but clearly work well and gives you that soft feeling of of that marketplace, be it the Hamptons or Connecticut, New Jersey suburbs. And then we have our outer boroughs, which are cool and strong, and they get the, the oh. reds and the oranges and the pinks. And every section owns their color. Everyone says, we got the best colors. And so it's been a win-win. And they're just complementary to our our corporate color. So they don't have different colors. They just have complementary colors to our corporate monochromatic grays. So we... You know, we don't lose the identity of who we are, but everyone gets to feel that they own their color. And I think it's it certainly has strengthened uh, our identity because a lot of my customers and people who have seen, you know, my signature blocks and, and the, the, the new multidimensional uh, H have all said, wow, that's a really bold and very powerful look. And I thought, yeah, well, I agree with that. But what you said interesting before about, you know, the, the signage in the suburbs and I'm thinking, all right, so the green is blending into the grass. That wasn't working. The white is blending into the snow, as you said, not kind of working. You know, I, I would never think about that. I don't think many people would think about that. But when you're looking at a whole plan to change, now tell us how difficult it is to actually put all this in place because everybody gets, you know, steeped in their own, I like this, I don't want to change. You know, people don't like change right. for the most part, agents or anybody. How did you, I mean, it was presented so well at our meeting, but how did you really think that this was going to go over with uh, the masses out there? Right. Well, working with Pentagram gave us a great confidence. Yeah, we were very, uh, they got us, uh, and we were very tough on them. We rejected so much, 
But we also brought in, um, uh, we thought, enough opinions to get uh, to get the feeling that we went in the right direction. And I, up to the day before we were rolling it out, I had agents coming up saying, you better not have gotten rid of our age. We love our age. And every one of them. It was a big mystery. At some point has come back to me and said, we love it. So uh, it was just a belief in the team that were, was leading us and uh, getting enough input to believe we were in uh, going on the right track. But it was it was nerve wracking. It was a lot of sneak peeking and, and yes. previews. And Richard yes. and Sarah in the village office used to kind of tease us about and people would say in meetings, oh, so what's the new color going to be? And I remember one meeting where they both kind of looked at each other and said, um... I don't know. It's not really about a color. You know, they wouldn't yes. pinpoint just yes. that one color. And then when it came out, I'm like, well, that's why they were being so evasive. One of the things I love most about it is um, the tagline, the hashtag, move to what moves you. What what created that? I think that's genius. I love right. I I look to use it on everything. It's amazing. Thank you. And we and we do love it. And that is something so smart where um, our leadership team from the branding company were giving us lots of ideas, but they did not sing to us. And it was actually, I'm sitting here with Maya. Maya was very much instrumental in the words. So we kind of picked what, and <coughs> when move to what moves you, we said it. We were all gathered around. We were on a conference call, believe it or not, with speakerphones trying to, because we were on a deadline. And when that one, when we said those words, I, it was like my heart sang. I immediately said, this is it. We love the play on the words. When you see our signs on Metro North, move to what moves you. It's like, okay, moving. On Metro North. But for me, what really sings is when you get down to it, you, the agents, you need to get to that core of what your consumer, what moves them. If you get to move move to what moves them, you you have hit gold. It's so true. It's it's not about the three bedrooms. It's not about, uh, you know, I want a view. It's what moves them. So we really feel that it, we we hit the heart of it, and we're, we're loving it. The agents of change. Yes, we are. Love it. And it always will be. And always will be. So let's move <clears> on <throat> to technology and the, and the push these days within the industry. Everybody wants to be so technology focused. Everybody believes that it's the technology that's going to do this or that and grow your business, et cetera. What is Halstead's position with technology as a tool to help their agents really perform better and to be uh, that more proficient out with their clients? I mean, we just did a, a spread for the the, the um the real deal. And one of the quotes I put in there was, you know what, it makes me much more credible with my clients when I have the right data and I have the right analysis that I can review with my customers as I just did over the weekend, like I said, with, with my one of my buyers. How important is technology today more so than it was back when we all started in this business? And it was really kind of just like, you know, it was there, but who cared, right. you know? It's, it's very, very important, but it really... As you said, it always has. It's just now it's on steroids because you mentioned in your your um, your entry into this dialogue about us being a technology firm. We have always we were really technically the disruptors back then. We were the first company that was computerized, so mm-hmm. that's technology. Nothing like today, 
but we always knew to be focused on it. Um, we're very innovative, and that has to do with marketing and technology. But you, the agents, need that data. And I'm glad you mentioned how you used it. Oh, Because yeah. that is, data is something, other than just purely the technology and the tools that you need, that we have truly been focusing on for the last three or four years. We've done massive efforts to clean it up, making sure our data is accurate. I was with someone at the conference that is new to our company from a couple of other firms before us. And they said at the last firm they were, they had to have three monitors with three different systems up for them to be certain they had the correct data. And they said, now they have one monitor and it's with our data and they trust it. They, it took them you know, a month or more to trust us, but now they know our data is cleaner than any of the portals out there. It, it absolutely is. I was all over analytics yesterday, and I mean, it's it, it, you it's know, amazing. it's amazing. It really is, and it's so professional, and it's so, I mean, thorough and and clean. And you know, in the day when you're trying to you know calculate on your own this or that or the average price of whatever, I mean, it's all there, and it's trustworthy. I mean, it really yes. is. Well, we remind me, were we one of the first firms, if not the first firm, to have a website way back? I wasn't at Holstead then. I was still in corporate America. But what, were we like the first firm to have a website? We were one of the first. One of? Uh, and, and God knows they weren't great back then. <laughs> but yes, we, we were always either in the forefront or one of the four, first. Yeah, because I, well, I my first apartment, I think, as I mentioned earlier on a break, I purchased and it was through a Halstead agent and I remember seeing the the, the pictures and, and whatever on, on a website and I thought, well, this is interesting. You know, a firm has their own website now. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about Real Scout before we um before we uh, finish our discussion. Real Scout, new to Halstead. What are we doing with that? That that's very exciting. It's new to New York City. It's something I've been watching through the my ability to go to conferences. And knew it was a, it's an incredible collaborative tool for the agents with their consumer. And, but it's, it wasn't ready for the New York City market. So we actually were in touch with the owner of it, terrific smart guy, was, in the, was an agent in his day that knew this would be something very important. And we, we've been working for over a year with them. So we got them with our beta. We had probably 80 of our agents working as beta testers to make it work for the New York City market. Very different. In the summer, we rolled it out for Connecticut. Much easier, much more similar to other markets. So we were able to do that in the summer. But literally, our agents, as soon as they noticed something that was not New York City-centric, they fixed it. Within the day, they fixed it. So we we were out ahead of it, but it is a collaborative tool, and it's really not just for the agent with their customer. It's actually with the community. So we're so excited that there are other important firms joining uh, joining Real Scout, and I think I think the whole market will, because what it it would it gives you it's that wonderful collaborative tool you can work with your customer. They don't have to work on any other portal but through Real Scout and what, what you will be presenting with it. You can do comparisons of if they're looking at, you know, townhouses and and which one should I zero into. You can compare rooms to it. You can look at the three 
kitchens of the townhouses. This one's going to need 100000 This one's great. And work that into how you think it's priced. It's for all the rooms you can p- compare it. When you're going for a pitch with the sellers, because it's collaborative with the community, you can look into how many customers are out there looking for precisely the size and the price range. And so you put it in. You've got a three-bedroom you want to price it at $4 million, and how many customers are out there. You don't know the customers as with the other firms, but you know how many have searches in for a three-bedroom around $4 million. So there's 15 customers out there. You can then show the customer. If you bring it down to three seven five, you now have 18 customers looking for it. So it helps you realize in your pricing with them the higher you go, yes, you want a higher price, but you now have seven if you go too high. Very interesting. It's an incredibly collaborative tool that way. Right. And it's going to work in, in many different ways. And we're very excited about it. Uh, okay. Anyway, we are out of time. And that's unfortunate. Diane Ramirez, Chairman and Chief Executive Officer of Halstead Real Estate, the company I work for. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for inviting we me. We are live from Blastoff Productions here in New York City. That's good. Mo- this is Good Morning America. Good Morning New York Real Estate. <laughs> we will be right back after these messages. Don't go away. I wish yeah, it was man. Good Morning America. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. But we are back, and we're here with our panel, Ari Harkoff from uh, Halstead Real Estate, Tracy Hammersley from Douglas Elliman, Matt Cohen from Core Real Estate, and Phil Horrigan from LeaseBreak.com and Freely. So good morning, everybody. Morning. Morning. Good morning. Good morning. It's a hard act to follow. How yes, does it, seriously. A very hard act to follow, yeah. absolutely. As a Douglas Element agent, I have to say, Diane Ramirez of Halstead is a hero <laughs> of mine. She is a grand dam of real estate. She's amazing. Yeah, she Thank really is. Thank you for is. having her on. Thank you. Um, it's always a pleasure. She's always got so much, so much information to share with us. Anyway, so um, how? Let me do, before we get into that. You heard mm-hmm. Diane's uh, conversation. How are we doing in your individual businesses these days in the marketplace? Uh, robust, picking up, kind of slow, flatline. Where are we? Sort of 
Where are we? You guys have heard me say before, it was the busiest August I've had in 15 years in the business. And it was actually busy for good purpose because often it is not always <laughs> the case. It was productive, busy, Correct. thank God. Um, and that has continued. It's been a really hectic September. How is it busy? Like sellers, buyers? Like what was the... I've gotten a lot of listings, which I would actually rather be working on more of the more buyer buyers, side. Yeah, exactly. More buyers, yeah. um, but, you know, we our team did some great rentals. We have had some fantastic buyers that got insane deals with some new construction. Um, and, and just to more to the point of what we were talking about today, tonight I'm going back with buyers of mine um, for me to see the, the property for the first time, their second time. I've been working with them kind of off and on for two years. We've made some offers, hasn't worked out. This property is priced so right in Brooklyn that my buyers are already talking about coming in, you know, significantly over the ask price just to try, you know, it's been on the market not even a week. It is priced right. This is exactly in wow. line with what Diane was saying. And they're smart. They're not going to be overpaying. It, it is priced under market and it's going to go over the ask price. And I hope it's to my buyers. So for me, um, <laughs> to add to what Tracy said, I mean, I, whenever I talk to agents, especially younger agents, they always say, oh, well, you have closings, like you're really busy. And I don't consider having closings being busy for, for me. I think of um, everything. I'm pretty happy with closings. Not to be confused with not happy with them. <laughs> I just find that everything that leads up to them is kind of, you know, our job. Like yeah. that's what our job is. And that's what keeps me busy. So agree with Tracy that my August was one of the busiest I've ever had. Um, but then, you know, last month in September, even though I have, I did have a bunch of closings and I put some new listings on the market, I find that it was one of my slowest months of my career. My so, August was one of the slowest months. Yeah, same. So I kept, well, September, September, not August. August was busy. September was slow. Um, I think that so much of what Diane said was right. I, I I just think that we're very much transitioning right now in a market. And even, you know, when there's hesitation, when not even hesitation, but I'm finding with my buyers, it's a, it's an uncertainty thing. They really just don't know what's happening in the market and they don't know where it's going. And obviously we don't have a crystal ball. We can only do so much. So I can't tell you what's going to happen next year. Um, you know, we can talk about historically this and that, but I don't think we're in a historic data of the next year or two. I, I think that, you know, like I just had a client who went to contract yesterday, took like three weeks to sign his contract because even though he was getting a crazy deal, in my opinion, I mean, he bought an apartment for over 10%. Um, what the apartment, same apartment, you know, three floors down was went for. So, I mean, it was a great deal, but even a great deal. I mean, under 10% percent less. Yeah, but there's yeah, urgency. I, the, the problem is, yeah, even a great deal, he was like, I don't know if there's a great deal. Well, yeah, what's it going to be but, next but, year? But like, when did that other apartment in the building close? Was it fairly recent that he paid 10% A few on? months ago. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. But here's the thing. I think that I think two things are happening right now. I've been having these conversations with sellers and buyers. So one is, if you look at the last downturn in the real estate market in late 2008, early 2009, there was a clear, um, there was a clear moment that happened. We fell off a cliff post Lehman and it was cl- there was a very clear why the market corrected. A clear why. Right now, everyone's saying, I don't understand. Why are you telling me that no one's coming to my open houses? Why aren't people making offers? I have this beautiful apartment. I think I'm priced well. What's happening? Part of the problem is we've had this very slow, painful, gradual decline, tax reform, rising interest rates, increasing um, inventory, uh, you know, variety of different factors, political climate, you name it. But there's not one clear thing that's happened that tells people. There wasn't an event that said, this is why the market is correcting and here's why. So people are very confused and with confusion brings uncertainty and with uncertainty brings hesitancy, which then only compounds the problem. Yes. We are so event oriented. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, it's it's so true. And what happened in eight and nine into early 10 uh, compared to today, as Diane even said, 
the stock market is booming. The, the, the economy is doing well. So what is really going on behind the scenes? And I think, and what's interesting about what Ari said is it's not even good or bad, yeah. just people like clarity. Like, it's not clarity. clarity. Like, I would rather the market right. just falls 10% exactly. and takes, rip the bandit off, and then we all move on, and it's, everybody knows what happens. It's your buyer like that's Sunday. getting a great deal, but is hesitant to think, well, but could it be better if I exactly. waited? Or is there well, something better that, out and there? And on Sunday, actually, it's about clarity. Sunday it was a bad day for open houses. Oh, like, terrible. across the board, but, everyone I talked to, and all developers, but, but yeah. there was something about last Sunday because that was everyone was talking about. Exactly. But, but here's <laughs> the thing. But here's yeah. the thing. It was a clear answer of why the open houses were not attended. It was great weather, which is not, you know, is not common for the end of September. Everyone was out and about. And I got to tell you, my sellers and my developers were happy that there was a clear answer of why. It wasn't a, this is an open house that had zero attendees that. and we don't get it. I want to add one other that's point, a, which a is, point. Point. Yeah, you absolutely. know, one of the other things that's happening right now is, as Diane said, so it's the first time in New York City real estate history where the stock market's at an all-time high, unemployment's at an all-time low, and the real estate market is flat to down. So I think it's pr- we don't have a lot of clarity, but there's one thing that's very clear. The real estate market isn't going to get better when the macro economy goes down. I don't think anyone believes that. When the stock market goes down, when unemployment goes up, when the market as a whole, the macro economy gets a that's hit, there's not going to be an inverse relationship. So the reality is every buyer believes, and I think rightly so, that the market at best will be flat and more likely than not will go down. So what I'm buying today will be worth less before it's then worth more, and that creates a lot of hesitancy from a psychological perspective. 100%, but also, why can't people, and, and this is just my broker head on, my agent head on, on me saying, so I get that, I totally agree with you, so it's going to be worth less before it's going to be worth more, mm-hmm. but the end goal is, if you hold on, it's going to be worth more. Sure. So why don't people see that? Like Immediate gratification. That's the society we live in. Well, the thing is, how, how long are you going to have to hold it for that to happen? Right. Like, like when you buy something, you hope you're going to hold it for five or ten years, but you don't know for sure. And it's the biggest I investment think. of your life. And so like there is – like what if you buy in three years from now – the, the price of the apartment is worth less and you have to sell for some reason. Right. That, there's this incredible fear, which is understandable, by right. the way. Absolutely. It's, it's a happening huge investment now. it's happening. People, yeah. I mean, we have clients who bought in 14 and 15 who are now selling. They didn't expect to sell, but they're selling. Correct. And many of them are losing money and not right. a small amount of money, like right. a lot no, of money. A lot right. of money. Right. And then people hear those stories, right? They hear those stories from their friends and then they're afraid, well, if I buy now, will the apartment be worth less three years from now also? You One know? of my buyers yesterday sent me an email saying he just read an article uh, that the interest rates, the financing interest rates are going to go to 5% in the very near term. He said, what do you think about that? So I sent him back a one-liner. I've been saying to you for months now, this is the best <laughs> time to buy. This is one of the reasons why. However, prices are flat. Interest rates are going up. 1% or half a percent makes a big difference. The only thing, though, people. is like, but when I heard you say that, my first reaction was, interest rates are going to 5%. I know. Guess where <laughs> prices are going. Well, so the thing, but that's the thing. So it's like, if you, even though it's like, sure, it, it might be a good time to buy now because interest rates may go up. The truth is, if interest rates go up a lot, the, the, the price of the apartment, how much it's worth would probably go down, unfortunately, you yeah. know? And, and then the one word or two words we haven't used are there's also fear and distraction out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, everyone I talk to, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, have something to say about Kavanaugh. So I think that there's also just been weeks of distraction. I think that people, you know, the distraction of the summer is now like the Kavanaugh's well, like the distraction I, of the fall. two years of distraction. Yeah. Yeah. Trump was elected in November 2016. Yeah. We had exactly. Two years it's of distraction. Two years of distraction. 
I think it's going to go on for a little longer before, but we've got to take a break. We'll leave it there. We'll come back. Good morning, New York. Mm. On the Voice America Variety Channel, we will be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their product. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll free in North America at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Now, back to the show. Everybody, we are back. Segment four Ari Harkoff from Halstead Real Estate, Tracy Hammersley from Douglas <laughs> Elliman. Matthew Cohen from Core Real Estate, and yeah. Phil Horrigan is here from Freely and LeaseBreak.com. Battery Park City and Lincoln Square ranked in the top five in the country in terms <coughs> of zip codes with the highest millennial population growth. Battery Park City placed third in the survey with 54.5% jump uh, from 2011. During the period, the neighborhood added 2,300 millennials. Lincoln Square, meanwhile, placed fifth, adding 2,200 millennials, 47.7% since 2011. Williamsburg and Corona in Queens ranked near the top in terms of total millennial population with each area containing more than 40,000 millennial residents. I mean, I I need some clarification on that. Matthew said clarification before or clarity. Help me understand this. Battery Park City and Lincoln Square, two neighborhoods where I would never place millennials. I'm always going to hear those numbers. I'm like, how do they even determine that? I, like, what I, does I it know. mean? 
Like, like I don't necessarily trust that. You're a nemesis, straight easy. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, then that explains everything. Yeah. That explains <laughs> All right, next segment. Because <laughs> that, that's a great, I mean, that is a great clickbait kind of article. Hey, but it's, it's unbelievable. Like, are, how do you determine the age of people that are moving? I, I, maybe there's a very easy way to do it. I don't know, but it just seems to me like... I don't know. Do you guys feel like there's more millennials living in the Well, I guess it's the, it's the the lower price of the the, the sales, the you know the entry price of sales, the 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 rental. I would say a lot of new rental buildings. A lot of new rental sure. buildings. Okay. So you with know, the concessions and yes. amenities and yes. washer dryer units. That right. You know, the thing is, sure. battery, maybe with the concessions, Battery Park and Financial District are at the lower end. But the truth is, there's mostly doorman buildings there. So like the average price is not the lowest right. in the city. No, they're expensive. Right. Yeah. Expensive. Yeah. Right. That's um, my that's my point. And and yeah. they're, they're coming in droves. Twenty three hundred. I think we're in forgetting <laughs> millennials can be 35 like they're not 19 years old yeah right, yeah. yeah what's a millennial i think, I think it's 33 30, 33 the 35, 35 is absolutely the top end yeah because yeah. yeah, so, my sister is 36 so 33 old banker goldman is a millennial yeah right. so you know it's like uh, i'm thinking they're like 19 year old kids or something yeah that's kind of the point we all tend to go there low 20s you know mid 20s whatever but he's right i know they go up to 35 years old so that explains it then actually that if you're working on wall these could be married with family or you know, yeah, exactly. It totally explains it because that is where a lot of people do go when they're, you know, bankers or what have you. You know what I mean? Sure, it's course. like saying the majority of X did Y and the majority is 51%. That's right. not really right. very meaningful. No, no, no. It doesn't granular, yeah. get yeah. down to yeah. the granular yeah. detail. Yeah. On the heels of that, millennials might be scaling back their hopes <laughs> for home ownership, but the generation behind them is dreaming big. This I found very What do we call the generation behind millennials? We call them Generation Z. Mm. Okay. So more than eight in 10 adult members of generation, generation Z, the oldest of whom were born in 1995. Wow. <laughs> the poor things. 1995. In university. <laughs> said they expect to buy a home within the next five years. According to a new survey, this from Property Shark, uh, survey respondents between 18 and 23 also said on average they expect to pay $37,000 for their next down payment, and their ideal home would be 2,081 square feet. Well, thinking big. <laughs> Millennials who were surveyed defined here as those born between 81 and 94 were less hopeful expecting to lay down $41,000 and idealizing homes around 1,883 square feet, so a little more in line with, you know, reality. Is this on a national, international scale? This is not just New York City. New events. York City. New York City. Property Shark cites a market watch estimate that Good about 100,000 members of Gen Z already own homes, and of those, only 1.2% are more than 60 days late on their first mortgage payment. Who cares? <laughs> that compared to 1.6 of millennial owners and 2.3 of Generation X. So, you know, my uh, you can go in so many different directions here, but first, we do we, we report that millennials were hesitant to buy because their first order of priority was travel, was out to dinner, meeting friends, having beers, and kind of saving their money for their recreation time versus purchase a home time. That across the country. Now this new Generation Z wants to buy. They want to plant, you know, uh, a seed somewhere and, and grow uh, economically or, you know, whatever. Why the difference between generations? I mean, it's not that big of an age difference. What were they? What has transpired? Were the millennials asked that question at the same age as the Generation no. Z people? No. Because the thing not. is, I think a lot of it has to do with what's the matter? Oh, <laughs> I can't look at you. <laughs> Phil's got a piece of tissue sticking out of his neck. Like, what are you doing? It's a crime scene. I, I think this is a television show. I know, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, you're saying. Hello, everybody. Sarah, the makeup to the rescue, yeah. please. Wow. I'm trying to be serious here while I have tissue yeah. in my nose. Good point. Um, 
But anyway, where was I? Uh, oh, I was wondering if they asked that question of the Generation Z people at the same age that they asked the question. Because my point, though, is that when you're at a certain age, you may have certain dreams. Grandiose. But then your dreams are crushed as you get, <laughs> as you get a little older. Reality, yeah. But, but dreams really kind of coincide with your financial situation at the time, whether you're a millennial Generation Z, you know, 20, 40, whatever it is. I mean, if you can buy something, you can buy something. But what always gets me is the fact that I mean, you know, everything that I've read and reported, you know, they they they've chosen to not buy and they've chosen not to invest because they want to do other things. But now the generation behind them, which again is not that far behind, says, "Hey, wait a minute. I get all that. I I can appreciate all that, but I want to own a piece of the rock and mm-hmm. I want to buy." Maybe it had to do with what age they were during the crash. So let's see. Millennials during the crash were because you know because these events are very traumatic yeah. on, on a whole class of people and sure. so it's possible that that enters their thinking um i'm not sure though if it works because generation z people how old now they're 19 to well from 1995 to today so what is that uh, up to 23 years old yeah, yeah. it's yeah. a shame we don't have our resident millennial matt that we lost him i'm sure technically a borderline millennial you so are? there you okay. go, yeah. there you go. The, generation, the generation z people oh. were what 10 years old when the financial crash happened Correct. right yeah so they don't they don't know about that so no. that's like almost not in their memory and so. it's generational i mean i mean you know decades go by and i i thought way differently you know when i was in my 20s than kids today of think course. in their 20s so that that's just the way life yeah. is and what's so you know available or not to us during our youth but let's so not it, forget that new york has always been a 67 percent renter city so compared to a lot of other cities yes. and that it's not saying that right. the dream of home ownership right. may have changed from generation to generation right. that is just the reality Correct. let's also be clear that a gigantic percentage of the young people who are buying in new york city are buying with family money that exactly. is flowing into new york yes and that money is readily available when Thank parents you, start to money. look at very expensive rentals and say well i could pay x to rent an apartment for you or y and we can own some and build equity. I think that's part of what's happening in the market right now is rents, while obviously soft, are still incredibly expensive and interest rates are relatively low and prices have come down and people do the equation. And it's, you know, should I rent or buy? Classic rent versus buy, yeah. Do you still find in your businesses uh, that you're finding a lot, more, a lot of parents still buying for children, yes. buying with children, all assisting the time. in some way? Yes. Hey, it's something that, that I all think that's a great. New York City it's thing. Wonderful. I wonder if that happened. It's wonderful, of course. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I mean, I, I, I like parents' money. <laughs> I, yeah, right. We'll take it anywhere we get it. But I don't know if that happens in the suburbs, though. Do you think there are a lot of people buying in the suburbs? No, I mean, the I houses are a lot not to the same degree. Not to the same degree. I really think that these pairs look at it like an investment for us too. We right. could buy a sure. piece of New York City. And have it for, and that's the other thing. Their yeah. timeline is a lot longer, right? Because they know we'll have it for maybe ten to fifteen years. Our kid will live in it for a while. Maybe we'll rent it out after that, yeah. and then we'll have it as a pay to tear when we're we retire. You know, also a necessity. I mean, the down payment on a home in New York City is the price of a home in most yeah. parts of the country. Well, there you go. Yeah. There right. you go. And when you really think about that, and sometimes I'm watching House Hunters on HGTV, <laughs> and they're talking about a hundred and sixty-five thousand dollar home, and I'm thinking, are you kidding? Forty-five dollars per square foot. Yes. What? You <laughs> know, quality. That, that's a down. Payment as, yes. as our oh, not even, I mean, not uh, even. <laughs> you know, it, it's like crazy. It's absolutely no. insane. But you know, listen, um, it, we're in our own world here, for better or yes. for worse. Yes, it is. You get a little jaded if you've been here mm-hmm. for a long time. You, you think it's very, normal. <laughs> I have a, a client who, um, as each of their children mm-hmm. become of age, they purchase a property for them Love in New York City. How many kids do I have? Them, I know, right? Great. Your favorite clients. And we've done two so far. But the point is, you know, so, so what nice. do you do it's with really this, this real estate mm-hmm. when they all, you know, go off on their own? I guess it's like, okay, now I have all this wealth in real estate. I'm going to sell it. And now you're off on your world. We're going to go off on our world and have a great time. <laughs> anyway, we're out of time. That's it for today. That's our show. Thanks to my guest, Diane Ramirez, 
and to the panel, as always, shoot for the moon, everyone. Even if you miss, you'll land among the stars. And Confucius says, choose a job you like and you will never have to work a day in your life. Be kind to one another. Uh, For all of us here at Voice America, all around the world, thanks for joining us, and I will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones. 